Well, let's make it official. Merry Christmas, everybody. Yes, thank you so much for coming out and worshiping with us. What a celebration of the birth of our Savior, King Jesus. Uh, if we haven't met, my name's Brandon. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and we're so glad uh, that you've joined us for our worship gathering. For those of you watching online, those of you who couldn't make it, uh, thanks for clicking in. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, it's Christmas Day, and I'll tell you this. I have met many, many Santas over uh, my many, many years on earth, but one stands out as uh, maybe my favorite. Uh, I was in Jerusalem, and uh, this guy, uh, he is the only accredited Santa Claus in Jerusalem. And to him, that accreditation's a big deal. Like, you thought Santa came in on a sleigh, this guy's coming in on a donkey. Like, here's a picture of him. His name is Isa Kasasia, and uh, he's a Palestinian. He's a, a former professional basketball player somewhere. He was their captain. Uh, and uh, he has built, uh, like, sort of a Santa's village in the center of the Christian quarter in the old city of Jerusalem. Here's a picture of what he built. Uh, he calls it the Ho Ho Holy Land Experience. And it is quite a thing to stumble upon as you're walking in Jerusalem, you're walking down these, these roads and seeing these beautiful homes and build, they're 700 years old and you're walking and you're looking and it's so beautiful. And then you just kind of stumble across this giant red door with a letter uh, by you. Here's another picture of me taking a picture with some of the people we were in Jerusalem with. And it's just this Holy Land experience like buried in the center of this 700-year-old home. And, uh, I don't, you know, what do they say about, about, about Santa? Like, he sees you when you're, he knows when you're, he knows if you've been, bad. yeah, you know, he's watching. And you know who else is watching? Isa, look at him, he's staring at us. None of us saw him. He was creeping on us in our group. He's there monitoring his house, watching each and every one of us to see what's going on, to see, like we, none of us saw him there in person. It's like later my wife goes, hey, remember that Holy Land experience? Uh, she like did a little research and she was like, this is what he looks like. And then she went back and she just found him hanging out on the balcony, staring at us, which is a little creepy, but that's kind of like Santa. So, um, but here's what we know. We know, like, Christmas isn't about Santa Claus. Jesus is the reason for the season, right? So uh, would you mind if we just read through Luke chapter two this morning? You wanna do that? Yeah, let's do that. Let me invite you into my living room and we'll just hang out with a quaint like, time together, reading through Luke chapter two. So uh, why don't you flip there and click there if you've got your Bibles on you, open to Luke chapter two, and if you have uh, uh, your YouVersion Bible app, and uh, we'll just kind of jump into this living room and, and experience a little bit of Christmas. Look at these guys, thank you. Perfect. Yeah, do, do any of you spend time reading the Christmas story at home? A few of you? Good. I feel like, we're, I feel like I'm missing something, though. That's okay. That's okay. Electricity's hard. Yeah, oh, my goodness. A hot chocolate. Thank you. Let's give it up for Taylor. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. 
Who doesn't have whipped cream in their side drawer, right? (laughs) Unbelievable. Hey, hopefully you're there at Luke chapter 2. And uh, I'm just going to read. We're going to read through these first 40 verses. Here we go. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. The first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. Verse 6. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room available for them at the inn. You know, when we read just these first seven verses, there's so many wonderful things. I'm going to just pop some highlights out there. And if you're a note taker, you might want to write a couple things down. You could put it in your, your Bible in a margin. Um, but the first thing for me that stands out is that inconvenience, it didn't stop their obedience. We have this young couple who... Like time after time after time, bumped into things that were inconvenient, that were hard, that, that you kind of feel like, man, do I really have to do this? But all of the inconveniences surrounding their circumstances, it, it, didn't, it didn't stop them. I know, I know for me, there are times when I'm looking for any interruption to keep me from doing what I should be doing. You know, have you ever let an interruption stop you from really cleaning the house? Come on, give me an Amen. Have you ever let an interruption like come between you and finishing a book? Have you ever let an interruption keep you from the gym? Liars, all of you. (laughs) You know, uh, some of us, we we are so good at manufacturing reasons uh, to veer off course, reasons to... uh, to neglect doing what we know we ought to be doing. But, but when you and I, when we look at the life of Mary and Joseph, when, when things were inconvenient, when things got like difficult, like they didn't veer. They never stopped being obedient to what they were supposed to do. Think about all of these things. Uh, a decree from Caesar Augustus requiring everybody to be registered, requiring them to travel from, from Nazareth to Judea. Like, if you don't have a map in front of you, I just tell you, like, that's 70 miles that's several days travel uh, by foot or by donkey. It didn't matter. It was, it was a great distance. The inconvenience of traveling while pregnant. That, you know how many rest stops were between Nazareth and Judea? None. They just had to figure it out. Not only was Mary traveling while pregnant, when she arrived, it became time for her to give birth. Talk about just some crazy inconvenient circumstances. And, and she had to give birth on the road. She had to give birth uh, without the comforts of home in a time when there really weren't comforts like we experience at home, uh, without the comfort of a hospital, with, with no room for this soon-to-be trio, w- with no video camera to record this birth story. Uh, like, h- how many of you would be devastated if you couldn't record that birth? Anybody? How many of you actually recorded the birth, your birth, your, not your birth, you weren't there to do that? <laughs> How many of you recorded the birth of one of your children in that delivery room? Nobody? Just me? Uh, roll that footage. No, just kidding. We're not going to do that. My wife got real nervous. You know, it's also good to note, it's also good to note that their obedience, church, don't miss this. 
Inconvenience never stopped their obedience, but it's, it's also important to note that their obedience never became an inconvenience. Let's keep reading. Verse 8. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in their fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. Then the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the city of David, a Savior is born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Now, church, I'm going to read verse 13, and I would love it if you would project and read verse 14 loudly, all right? Verse 13. Suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with them. The angel praising God and saying, Could you imagine hearing that? Could you imagine experiencing those voices and that how profound that would I imagine it would sound something like this. Okay, that didn't sound like angels. You guys got some work to do. But that's fine. That's fine. Verse 15. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and they found both Mary and Joseph and a baby who was lying in a manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary, Mary was treasuring all of these things in her heart and meditating on them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. You know, we know this as the church. We know this. It's a good reminder. Uh, if you're taking notes, you might want to just write this down. Uh, the good news is boundless. You know, there are no walls too high. There are no barriers too tough for the gospel to get through. The good news of Jesus Christ is good for everyone. It's good for all. And the, the angel, like what I love about this passage, and it is such an encouragement to each and every one of us, is that the, the angels in this passage announced the birth of Jesus first to shepherds. Shepherds were in the lowest class of society. I'm telling you, if, if uh, uh, government leaders or officials were announcing the birth of Jesus, these shepherds would have been amongst the last to know about it, to hear about it. There is no social status too great to, to hoard the gospel. There's no social status too low to keep you away from the gospel. This birth announcement demonstrates that salvation is for all people. And I, I love that, that these men who have very little, they, they freely shared everything that they heard and they saw. They just gave that information away. We all know somebody who, like when they, when they receive some special news, some special information, it's like, it's like they, uh, they hoard it. They feel like an insider. They keep it to themselves. Maybe even they, they dangle this information over your head. It's sort of like a power play. Like, I know this, I have very little and this is all I have and I just, I wanna celebrate in the power that I have in this, but that's not what the shepherds do at all. When we look at the story, like the shepherds handle this news 
in such a wonderful, graceful, exciting way. They just share with everybody. These angels informed the shepherds and then the shepherds saw with their own eyes and and they informed everyone they came in contact with. They told everybody what they heard and what they saw. And I love this. Scripture says, and people were amazed. They were amazed at what they heard. When you and I, like, we have the good news. Like, we've got to share it. When you have good news, you share it. And we have the best news. Uh, The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is boundless. It's for everyone. It shouldn't be held back from from any person. Let's keep reading. Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 24. When the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord. A pair, now don't miss this, a pair of turtle doves or, or two young pigeons. You know, what we know about Mary and Joseph already is they didn't have much. And they, they didn't have much to offer when it came to finances and economic status. And if you're taking notes, I'd love it if you'd write this down. Our offering, it must not keep us from worshiping. Mary and Joseph, with what little they had, they continued to worship. They just gave and worshiped. Like, uh, you know, we've already seen Mary and Joseph obeying the law. We see them faithfully following customs and traditions. And, and here they're getting ready to faithfully worship as soon as they could. Like they were on the edge of their seats ready and waiting. They knew what was required of them. They knew tradition and custom and law, and they were going into it. Look at all of this obedience and, and all of this that is a part of their worship. Uh, Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. Uh, Mary, Mary waited through the days of purification according to the law of Moses. What that means is she waited 40 days. If uh, a mother and son would wait 40 days, a mother and daughter would wait 80 days. This is this process of purification. Uh, and, and then they were ceremonially clean. They, they would become ceremonially clean, unclean until that time had passed and they went through what they needed to go through. They brought him to the temple to be dedicated. Like, like listen to this obedience, this worship. And, and they, they brought the sacrificial offering. This is, this is interesting. This, this stood out to me this time as I was reading through the text. You know, Mary and Joseph's offering shows us that they were not wealthy. They weren't well-off people. You know, people could bring a, a lamb and a dove or a pigeon. A lamb is obviously more expensive. But what we see here in the text is they brought two of these birds They didn't bring a lamb, an expensive lamb. And here's what's good to recognize and good to notice in this. Like, if you couldn't afford it, if you couldn't afford this lamb, you could bring two doves or or two pigeons. The offering, don't miss this, church, the offering is wildly important. But if you couldn't afford a lamb, your offering should not keep you from worshiping. There were provisions in place. Uh, There was an allotment for uh, circumstances like this. If you couldn't afford this animal, we didn't want you to not worship, so bring something that you could afford. And I got to tell you this. This provision in in the law, this provision in tradition, and this provision in the text is not put in place so people could give as little as they could possibly get away with. 
It was so that they could give as much as they were able. Like even though we see them giving little, Mary and Joseph here are practicing boundless generosity. This is truly an amazing gift. Uh, Let's continue to read verse 25 through 35. As they were going up to, to dedicate their child, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Uh, Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform on him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms and praised God. And he said, now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation of the Gentiles to, uh, and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in, in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. This is so good. Um, I love this. I love watching uh, like the story unfold before Simeon. And what we've already said is that the good news is boundless, but what we might add to that is that God's words are bound. In other words, God keeps his promises. When God says something, God does what God says he will do. And as we read through this interaction with Mary and Joseph and Simeon, we see that Simeon is so excited about the good news. Like the good news is unfolding right before his very eyes. And what do we see Simeon doing? We see him praising God for fulfilling a promise in his life. But he's also celebrating and there's some anticipation of promises to be filled, uh, fulfilled in this world through Jesus. God's words are eternal, church. Um, they're unchanging. God is constantly and consistently faithful to do what he says he will do. That's true throughout the history of eternity, and that is true for each and every one of us in our own lives. Let's keep reading. The celebration doesn't stop. Verses 36, 37, and 38. There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher, and she was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God night and day and fasting and prayer. Like, at that very moment, like, this is an interaction that happens while this interaction with Simeon is happening. At that very moment, she came up and she began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Like, Anna is such a a wonderful model of, of perseverance, She's a model of, of joy and, and thanksgiving. She's a true servant. You know, and by the purest standard, she is thankful. She is, she is joyful. If you're taking notes, I would, I would love it if you'd write this down. God used Anna to show us that when the life you plan out doesn't pan out, God is still good. God is still good. Here's a couple of things that are just kind of fun to note. Um, you know, her, her, 
her dad's name was Fanuel, which means face of God. I think it's so cool that Anna here in the text is coming face to face with Jesus. You know, uh, you know, she's from the tribe of Asher, which means she's from the northern kingdom, part of the divided kingdom, really not the, the life you plan out. You know, no one who is excited about marriage plans for the tragedy of the passing of their spouse, especially so soon in marriage, seven years. She didn't remarry. And the text says she was a widow for 84 years. Now, the text allots for the fact that maybe she was a widow for 84 years, or maybe she was an 84-year-old widow. What we know is she was somewhere between 84 and 115 years old, and, and she didn't let these things that, that happened, like, pull her back, hold her back. You know, as a widow in the first century, she was seen as a burden, but she didn't stop worshiping. She didn't stop celebrating. She was, she was joyful. She was thankful. This is certainly, you know, not the life that Anna planned out. But she didn't back down. You know, I'm sure there was mourning and sadness in her life. But Anna's life is a light. Anna's life is a light. She lived a life filled with joy and gratitude and worship and service to the Lord God Almighty. You know, not just sometimes, but when you look at the text, she did this day and night. She lived a life that was constantly thankful, constantly serving, constantly worshiping. Let's look at these last two verses. When they, Mary and Joseph, when they had completed everything according to the law, they returned to Galilee, back to their own town of Nazareth. And the boy grew up and he became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. This is, this is super encouraging. I think we, we so often look at Jesus and we know that he's perfect. We know that he became our sacrifice. We know he has greater love than any of us could imagine having for anybody. But what I love about this is that we see Jesus growing. He's growing. If you're taking notes, I'd love it if you'd write this down. Spiritual growth is a process. It's not an event. It's not this one and done moment. Like it happens time time and time again. It happens over time. You know, Mary and Joseph, they did what they could do as parents. Like, they honored God. They obeyed God. They were, they were faithful to the process of parenting. How hard would this be to parent Jesus? They were following God as best they could as parents. They, were, they weren't just trying to get their kids through life. They had more kids, right? You know that. They, they weren't just trying to get their kids through life. Like, they were, they were instrumental in, in growing the faith inside of all their kids. They lived out their faith in front of their children. They lived out their faith in, in their community, to their neighbors, to all who they would meet. And God trusted uh, his son with Joseph and Mary. And Jesus benefited so much from their faithfulness. You know, all growth is inter, 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 <laughs> instrumental, by the way. Like all of us. You know, you don't just learn something once and then you just have it perfectly. Like, you're not implementing it perfectly. You know, uh, my kids, uh, you know, they're in a process of growing spiritually, a, a process of growing physically. It happens with time over time. But that's also true for me. I know it's true for you, too. It's true for me personally. You know, my spiritual growth is a process. It's not an event. 
You know, it's so important not to, not to become discouraged when things don't immediately work out the way that you want them to work out or when you bump up into some, some spiritual difficulties or some struggles in life and you're just like, why isn't this better? Why isn't this simpler? Why isn't this easier? It comes by spending time over time. You know, our growth, our relationship with Jesus, it grows. It's, it's a process. It's not an event. You know, Scripture is very clear that that Jesus is perfect, he's blameless, and he still grew up, and he still grew into his public ministry. And we get one brief story of when he was 12 years old, but other than that, we don't really know what, what the life of Jesus looked like from birth into manhood. But what we do know is, from these two verses, verses 39 and 40, is that Jesus, he grew up, he became stronger, Maybe underline that in your Bible. Like, he grew up. Jesus matured. He, he gained physical strength. He gained spiritual strength. He went through uh, what I had gone through as a kid. And the fact that he became stronger shows us that he can identify with the things that you and I go through. He can identify with our highest highs and our lowest lows. He grew up in both. He was filled with wisdom. Underline that. Put a little star by that. Jesus was filled with God's wisdom. God's supernatural wisdom was on Jesus and in Jesus. And that doesn't mean that when he was 10 years old, he understood everything like an adult would understand things. But what it means is Jesus would be the wisest 10-year-old you had ever met. You know, I remember uh, a few Christmases ago, one of my kids was five years old. He was sitting uh, by one, one, uh, his grandma, and, and uh, grandma looked at me and said, Brandon, I, I, I've got this new iPad. I'm trying to figure out uh, how to do, and she explained to me what she couldn't do. And my five-year-old was sitting right beside her. He snatched the iPad out of her hand. He went, boop, 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 and he goes, there you go. And she just stood there and went, what just happened? People were like that with Jesus all the time. Man, that kid has so much wisdom. There's something special about this 10-year-old that, that was, that was uh, noticeable. And, and he continued to grow in that. And Scripture says that God's grace was on him. God's grace was on him. This, this is part of the growing process for Jesus. Jesus would, would need God's grace to go through all that he would go through. You know, God's favor was on him. And, and we read later in the same chapter that Jesus grew in favor with God and in favor with men. Like, people were drawn to him. God's favor was on him. And God loved him so much. There was, there was this special favor in his life and on his life. And I'll tell you, while, while God loved him and while people were drawn to him, it was Jealousy and misunderstanding of that grace that, that made some people hate Jesus. But it was God's grace that helped him stand up under that pressure. You know, this whole birth story, the, the story of Jesus, uh, it starts in Nazareth. And, and here in these last two verses, it, it ends in Nazareth. Everybody's returning home. And I don't want us to pass the celebration of today too quickly. We need to celebrate. We need to enjoy Christmas. We need to celebrate the birth of Jesus. But when we look in the text, when we read through Luke chapter 2, all 40 of these verses, they're absolutely fantastic. From Nazareth to Nazareth. It's amazing. 
It amazed the shepherds. It amazed Mary and Joseph. It amazed Simeon and Anna and everyone who heard it. They experienced amazement. And as we, we sit here in, in this cozy living room, I just want to remind you, after today, life continues to go on. And hopefully we, in our relationship with God, we would continue to grow uh, physically. We would continue to grow spiritually. Um, and we would celebrate who Jesus is and all that he has done. And uh, as we sit here and see all the people who are amazed in the text, can I just tell you my hope is uh, that the Christmas story is very familiar to each and every one of us, but every time we hear it, my prayer is that we would be amazed by it. Would you bow and pray with me? God, I'm so thankful for the gift of your word that we can know, that we can read, and that we can celebrate all the many amazing things that surround the birth of your son, the birth of our savior. God, I ask uh, in Jesus' name, that we would, we would be more aware, we would be more alert, we would be more amazed at who you are, who Jesus is, and that we would celebrate the king. That we wouldn't just celebrate the birth of our king today, but we would celebrate that we have a living king each and every day. And that the, the lives that we live, the amazement that we have, the celebration that, that comes out of us would be an encouraging gift to those around us. Lord, continue to use us to bring people who, who are far from you close to you. Help us celebrate. Help us love. Help us be Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people agreed and said, amen. Church, thank you for joining us on Christmas Day. I just want to say uh, you are loved.